fascinating gadgets. Gizmos. And gear-based technologies. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Dr. Denon, the certified genius. Um, you know me, Daniel J. Glenn, the analytical mastermind. And then we've got Ben Siepser, uh, who is a rocket scientist of undisclosed origin or location. Um, is that everyone? Anyone else want to add anything to that? No, I think we're good. Certified genius really covers it. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Right. Uh, so you guys have seen Terminator 2, right? I know this is an old franchise. They're making new ones, but um, you guys have seen the movie, right? Definitely. Yeah, great movie. What do you like about it? Um, Not everyone at once. I, I, think, I think one of the things I like is, is finally seeing Arnold as a good guy, mm -hmm. even though you think he might be a bad guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Also, he has a great body. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking good. That was his prime. So do you, that's really interesting. So do you think that's because he was popular as, a, as an actor and he didn't want to be the bad guy anymore? Because in 84, he was kind of working his way up. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I actually, I hate to admit this publicly, but I'm a big Arnold fan. And I think it was just part of his overall plan and his career arc. I think he had a plan going in all along. Uh -huh. And he knew he would become the good guy. That's really interesting. So do you, are you a fan of his movies or a fan of his politics or a fan of uh, I am him? a fan of how he planned his movie career and okay. how willing he was at various points to make fun of himself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if your goal is to make yourself famous and wealthy, he, was, he achieved that quite well. You know, I'm glad you brought this up because I got a lot to say on this subject. Because I actually, <laughs> I actually kind of agree with you because if he had so many things working against him, not the, you know, he's a foreigner in in, yeah. in a stra stranger in a strange land. As the last name Schwarzenegger, um, had a weird gap-toothed grin, couldn't had a horrible accent, and couldn't really act, and yet somehow became um, not only the top-grossing action star, but also a political powerhouse, such that at the time when he was governor, he was actually putting things in place to try to, to eliminate the natural board of citizens he'd possibly go for higher offices. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm with you on that. Yeah, no, he had a plan. And after all, he ended up doing a comedy with Danny DeVito. So, That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to respect those choices. Uh, you don't have to respect them, but you should respect them, I think is what you're getting at. You know, and, and it's also funny you brought up Arnold Schwarzenegger because I would say that very few people would have share that opinion. Most people would say that the T-1000, the liquid metal machine from that movie, is much cooler than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm, I don't know. It, it felt so emotionless and kind of boring. There's no, there's so much more character in, uh, in Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Terminator than you see at all, in, I think, in the T-1000. Well, do you want your killers to be emotionless or full of emotion? Well, I want there emotion to be a character at all. Well, I think the cool <laughs> thing about the T-1000 uh -huh. um, is the, the intriguing science and then where it fails miserably. Okay. Like the two extremes of the T-1000. All right. Um, you know, this idea of liquid metal is something I think is, is interesting to talk about. But then the idea that it actually could have internal computing structure... There's just a lot of intriguing science fiction there that you wonder when and if it would turn into real science. So as a physics geek, mm -hmm. the T-1000 is interesting from that perspective. Right. Well, I mean, I imagine as a science fiction fan, it's got to be interesting as well for you guys. Yes. I mean, not yeah. just as a geek, but also as like a fan of science fiction in general. 
Yeah, and, and it pushes sort of some of the boundaries, and it faces the classic, I think, science fiction challenge. How do you make something that seems indestructible mm -hmm. and super and over the top in a villain and yet still be able to defeat it and win? And was the defeat really real at the end? Right. I mean, those are cinematic questions. Those are questions that directors and, and you know... Yeah, and writers have to come up with, not scientists. But but you you want to include your science where you can in that. Okay. Right. Right. You want to make it uh, believable enough that people are sufficiently afraid, mm -hmm. um, and don't worry too much about the unbelievable parts. Because if it gets too unbelievable, you're just like you tune out and you're like, nah, I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, and I think uh, so. On this show, what we what I strive to do is find out: Do these things exist in real life? If so, how? If not, how can we make it exist? So that's why we have a physicist and an engineer to kind of make it happen. Now, we're not going to make it in front of you. This isn't a DIY show. But, oh, um, should I put my tools away? You should want to. <laughs> that was directed at you. Uh, so what, what, what I think is kind of interesting about this is there are lots of in real life capabilities that we have, uh, I guess, um, technological advances that have actually made some of this very possible. But let's start, how could we make this possible without me telling you that stuff? <laughs> so basically what you want us to do is guess what you're thinking. No, no, no. Which guess. is a standard teaching technique I use with my students. Then yes, yeah. I want to use the same techniques that a certified genius would do. Well, I'm going to let the engineer go first. <laughs> of um, course Because this are. is about building and engineering a robot, but then I'll, I'll, I'll chime in a little bit later. All yeah. right. Well, so... Military robots are obviously not a unknown thing mm -hmm. in our in our universe. We have we have robotic drones that shoot missiles. We have sure. bomb diffusing robots and robots with guns on them and all sorts of stuff that can just drive around, fly around, and do all sorts of stuff. Currently, there I oh no, actually there are some that are somewhat autonomous too. So you have you know those drones aren't always being flown by somebody. They mm -hmm. have autopilots. So it's not inconceivable that you could have robots that you imbue with some level of intelligence that can seek out a target and attack it and kill it. The real question becomes, how do you make the crazy self-healing liquid metal thing that goes on in the T-1000? That's a lot trickier. There, there's kind of two methods I see of it, and really only one that makes a lot of sense, which is a, which is a nanobot swarm. Mm -hmm. is, I think, how you would do it, where instead of actually having one cohesive robot, you actually make it have the T-1000 be made up of thousands or probably millions, maybe even billions of tiny little, tiny little robots that can latch together, make the shapes you see. Um, you put maybe little OLED screens on them so they can imitate all the colors and the costumes that you see. Oh, that's um, a really the interesting T1000 idea. take. You still have the problem of why does he have to touch the thing to be able to take its shape? I mean, you think he could just look at it and take its shape? Maybe he absorbs its <laughs> DNA. I got to yeah. tell you, I'm going to stop you here because this is the last time I'm letting you go first because that is my conclusion at the end <laughs> was that this is supposed to be a nanobot swarm. I think that works out much better. Um, but you said it first, so now I'll never get that credit, which is all that I truly <laughs> seek out in the show. Um, I like the idea of the LED screen. That's a really cool idea um, that it can then mimic, like, at a, but you'd have to have a pretty high resolution for it well, not to look like a television. Yeah, if you have, out. like, one pixel on each nanobot, you can do all sorts of pretty good-looking stuff, maybe even a couple pixels. Sure. 
Um, you know, we can make very, very small, uh, you know, TVs and things already. I, I can imagine that from a foot or two away, you could do something pretty intense. Well, let, let's so let's step back from the nanobot thing for a second, because I think that that's the ultimate conclusion, again, that I was going to come to. Uh, <laughs> but the liquid metal thing, I think, is what really kind of got people excited about this. And, and as impossible as it sounds, there are lots of advances that are actually making that possible. Um, there are a couple of people who are, I mean, because basically what you want to do is create metal that's liquid at room temperature. Yes. Um, that can function and, because I mean, essentially metal will conduct electrical impulses, right? So you have all the yeah. things you would need that a robot or an electrical system would need in order to get, you know, information from point A to point B to do the things that it needs to do, right? So we can, we're in agreement on that, right? Yes. Almost. I'll let you go, but I, I have a few <laughs> comments on that. Okay. All right. So the, I wouldn't want total agreement this early in the, in I the discussion. Hope not, I would hope not. I mean, because the, the T-1000 has a couple of really interesting things. Like, it can, like, much like Carnage from Spider-Man, it can separate things from its body. It can turn it into, you know, knives, anything made out of metal. Um, and then those things, they don't act autonomously, so they, they wouldn't break off and then, like, crawl, like, you know, thing from the Adams Family. It still is metal, like because it's still not. There's no CPU in each individual uh, piece. Ben's well, looking at me very strange. You can't. No, see I mean, that we see when it gets broken up in the final scene. You know, spoilers. The uh, when the two thousand get shattered, all of the little pieces like pull back together on their own. Well, they they yeah, but they don't they don't turn into their own little like death knives that fly through the air. Oh. I mean, Maybe no, he didn't feel like doing that. Well, <laughs> no, they they reduced the little pools of metal that they magnetize into each other. So I'm saying they don't operate on their own. May I continue? You may. <laughs> okay. I'm uh, building up my case here mentally. Sure. So there are, uh, in Beijing, there are, they've, they've created, actually in Beijing and in Melbourne, they, they've created um, gallium with, um, with, with, it's an alloy of gallium, which I believe is on the periodic table. It's yes. Metal. Gallium so is it's an element. It, it is number 31, I believe. Uh, same number as Reggie Miller. Is that right? Did I nail I'll, it? I got Den and Lapin. I'll trust you on the sports. Yeah, okay. <laughs> good job. Oh, I'm right on the sports. I want to make sure it's the right number on the periodic table. Uh, so it's right in there with all the other metals. And so the problem is it's not liquid at room temperature. And so they've they made an alloy, you know, throwing tin and all this other stuff. I'm not going to bore you with that. But what's amazing about this is it's liquid at room temperature. And unlike mercury, which is also a metal that's, that's liquid at room temperature, this isn't poisonous. It's not going to turn into a mad hatter by touching it. You can actually put gallium all over your hand. As a matter of fact... Um, a uh, friend of the show, Seek Donnelly, tried to do this for a Halloween costume as he covered himself in gallium to try to go as the Silver Surfer uh, last year, which I thought was an absolutely ingenious costume. Uh, but you can put this stuff all over your body. There are no harmful effects, uh, which makes it pretty cool. Number one, it's kind of like slime in a way, uh, which is really cool. But also, we can do stuff with it. So what am I? what's my point? Uh, my point is both of these universities have created ways to make this mobile, turn it into a motor. They can, it dissolves aluminum, which then releases a gas, which can propel it. Um, they put different solutions around it, which can cause it to move. And they've inserted, they've, they've charged it with an electrical pulse, which causes it to take shape, which again, as I mentioned, the electrical impulses uh, obviously can flow through metal. And if you can figure out the shape you want, you can design the electrical impulses to create a shape. So we have the, the, all the fundamental things here to create a mini T1000. Is my, how's my science? Then yes just and waiting no. to... Yes and no. So he, here's the fundamental problem um, with, with the liquid metal T1000. I, I have two issues with it, though. I think it's awesome and cool. One is 
You, you, you're either the, it's one or the other. By the way, it's either awesome and cool, or you have serious issues with it. I have both. No, I can have both. I can okay. have serious issues right. and still think you're it's the awesome genius. and cool. All right. Um, so first of all, you're either liquid or solid. You're not both most of the time. So you do have this challenge of if you want the cool liquid properties that it has of the self-healing, the flowing, the taking any shape at room temperature, how do you get it to also hold its shape? So you have to go to the next level of physics. Um, and we've been down this road before, Dan. We, you have to go to foam. Mm-hmm. You have to go to things that are liquid What is it with solid. you foam? I, what happened to you as a kid? I, I, I really want, I want to do an episode on what happened to you with foam as a kid where you became so obsessed with this stuff. It's amazing. I'm, you it know. is, but, but you need a material You're that obsessed. when you want it to will act like a solid and hold its shape. I mean, the robot makes a metal blade that goes through a guy's brain. Uh-huh. Liquid's not going to do that for you. Okay, you're not going to get that out of liquid. You need that solid behavior. Mm-hmm. So you need a material with both solid and liquid properties. And that's not easy to do with simple materials. And so it, the first step to it is, of course, what they've done, which is to figure out how to just make a liquid metal that works. But you do have to take it to the next stage of materials processing and materials physics, which we do it with other things, so it might be doable. And it wouldn't behave exactly like the T-1000, but it would get closer. But my other challenge is, yes, you can put electricity through a liquid metal, mm-hmm. but how do you do computing, right? Because computation in computers depends on having circuits, which depends on having discrete parts, which you get out of solids. Because in a solid, the molecules, you know where they are, they're in their nice positions, they're holding firm, and you can create the digital circuitry you need to make the decisions. In, in a liquid... You're in trouble. So now we've mentioned the punchline earlier of the nanobots. So well, maybe, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. We, oh, okay. No, no. Okay. So, so I've got an idea here. Let's oh, take. He's got an idea. Okay. I've got an idea. The analytical mastermind. That's what I do. So when it comes to technology, a lot of the most successful technologies come out of imitating life. Now, what? It, so a lot of even the nanobot idea is essentially mimicking us or an anthill, right? Like it's a bunch of different independent cells that are functioning as one unit, right? Yep. So in that unit, in our unit, um, and by unit I mean, you know, the body, um, there are, you know, there's different systems. One of the systems is the circulatory system, which is liquid. You know, like that is a constant liquid at all times, even though you would argue that I am a solid, right? So, <laughs> I guess you could technically be like a stiff slurry, I guess, yes. right? I mean, we're not exactly... The bones are solid, but everything yeah. else is pretty mushy. So, uh, anyway, the, what am I, what's my point? So, my point is, what if there were... As an, what if there was an isolated system? Like, I think to be able to maintain a shape, like a solid shape, you need a cooling system of some kind to cool the metal. And the, and the temperatures on this, it goes to a solid pretty easily, so that, that, you don't need to have like a nitrogen-based cooling system. You could have something that would cool it, you know, on command, basically. And what if you had like a cooling system, almost like the vascular system in our body, that was slowly cooled, but bendable electrical impulses where you could have it send impulses like a brain almost. Um, that way it would be mostly liquid. Uh, the damaging parts, the cool parts would still be liquid, but you could have it solid at any moment because that could also transfer the cooling element. Could I just solve the problem? Well, you, you helped solve the liquid-solid problem. That is one way to go about it is live at... So there's two ways to do it. You can do what you described where you live at phase transitions between solid and liquid, and you have it that phase transition occur close to a temperature at room temperature that you want. The other way you can do it, because if you notice, it only really needs to be liquid when it's receiving damage. Mm-hmm. And one of the very, very common things we have are what we call 
viscoelastic materials that switch from solid to liquid depending on how hard you're hitting them. Visco Viscoelastic materials. Did you make that up? I did not make that up. Are they it, made of foam? They're often made of foam. <laughs> Let's go there. But a, a good example is to mix cornstarch and water. You mix uh -huh. enough cornstarch and water, okay? If you hit it really hard, it acts like a solid. If you hit it slowly, it still stirs and is like a liquid. And you can actually YouTube this. You can see videos of people walking on water because they run fast enough because there's enough cornstarch in it. That's amazing. Yeah. And so now you just do the inverse of this, right? Because you want this to be liquid when it's getting hit with a high-speed projectile, but solid when it has to move at normal speeds. Uh -huh. um, so that's the other option you have here is to use that sort of viscoelastic type material um, to have solid shape when it's doing its normal thing, but a bullet would just go right through it. Okay. Oh, but you also want it solid when you're swinging your arm like a mattock and to chop somebody's head off or whatever. Right, but that's the speed that the arm's moving at. It's not the speed differentials across the arm. So it's a sheer thing. So again, to use a technical term, you're less worried about the speed than the differences in speed. So as the bullet goes through you, you're creating a sheer gradient, a, a change in speed. Where the bullet is, it's fast, and where it's not, it's slow. So that region becomes liquid and you're okay. Um, when you make your knife and you stab someone, the knife can be moving at a s all constant speed and stay a knife and go through them. Oh, okay. So, so, so wait, hold on. So Ben, so Ben is talking a lot. Does that make sense to you? A little is bit. That techno battle. I, but, I, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm just making up words. No, they're real <laughs> words. Trust me, they are. I recognize the words. The order was kind of what was confusing to me. I mean, is the science the science holds up? Does that make sense? I'll trust him on the physics of that a little bit more. I would <laughs> I would think that if you're that's a good you know, call. That's a really good call. I think if you're swinging a an axe. And, you know, this is a material that um, is backwards from the cornstarch water solution, where when it gets hit hard, it solidifies. If this one, when it gets hit hard, it liquefies. I would think that if you hit somebody hard with a blade, and it's, it's going to liquefy. You might get a little at the edge of the blade, but the core, I believe, would stay solid in this case. And from a physics get, standpoint. On, from a physics standpoint. On paper. On paper. Right. Um, but when we put it, when, when Ben makes this thing next week, that's, that's going to be a different Well, we'll story. have to test it. It's, it's experiments. That's, that's very true. Um, before we get to the nanobot thing, I want to step into that, because there is actual real-world real world applications of just that thing going on right now. But I wanted to mention a couple of things. So let's take, just, just because I think it's really interesting, is there are lots of self-healing robots out there that they've done a lot of experiments with. Now, first up are some scientists in Spain. Now, they've created, or claim to have created, a self-healing polymer that spontaneously rebuilds when cut, and this will heal up to about 97% um, after two hours at room temperature. Now, you don't need heat, and you don't need light. 97%, not bad. And then you get to Brussels. Now, there's something funny going on here in Brussels because you got two major innovations here in Brussels. First of all, the first place is the Virgé Université de Bruxelles. And these Brussels scientists have made self-healing robots as well, and they're like jelly-like cubes, so they're individual pockets. Now, they can heal to 100%, but it requires both heating and cooling. That's the only downside there. Uh, but but we've, we're, we're on the cutting edge here, uh, no pun intended, of the self-healing polymer um, world, which is the self-healing aspect is quintessential to uh, the T-1000. Now, admittedly, it's a solid versus a liquid, but we're getting there. Thoughts? Self-healing materials are pretty, I mean, they're a new field, but they're, it's a pretty, it's a somewhat standard field now. Usually what you do is you have this piece of metal and, you know, basically you have 
liquid inside of it that when it breaks, it'll kind of recure and, you know, knit itself back together. Just like kind of the way our bones do. When you break a bone, your blood kind of comes into the that gap and brings in new cells and it regenerates. And you can do that with metals. You can do it with ceramics. You can do it with polymers. It's still scary, though. Well, it, it, it is kind of... And it's scary that it's centered in Brussels. I mean, this isn't terrifying either one of you, but I, that that bothered me. Mm, well, but why did Brussels right. scare you? I'm I don't know, because is it you Brussels sprouts or you are. Fit, I don't like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> uh, I, you, just when one particular small region of the world you never hear about starts focusing on these terrifying things, you got to worry about them. You got to well, look at them twice. Well, it is one of those things, and and Ben alluded to this. This is a great example of of learning science from biology, right? We we think, oh, self healing. That's got to be really hard, but but we do it all the time. I mean. Most of us have been cut at least once in our life by something That's and true. have healed. That is true. We are self-healing. It's not like you need to go have yourself stitched every time you get injured or wounded. Your body knows how to heal. And so really, I think the, the thing that impresses people, one is the speed. How fast can you do it, right? Because usually mm-hmm. it's not like you get a cut and then you know within seconds you're healed and fixed. That's the part people worry about. But that's a research, I mean, if you want to blow your mind a little bit, a few years ago, I went to an entire conference sponsored by the Army on how do we do self-healing. And we were much, it was much more about soldiers and actual people and doing healing faster, not robots, but it would carry over. And you're going to laugh, Dan, guess, guess what I talked about. Foam, I assume. Yep, self-healing and foam. You I got imagine, it. Yeah, hey, foam you're, 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 a, you're an analytical mastermind. You <laughs> analyzed that situation I did. and came up with the answer. I did. But it, it, it was a starting point for modeling what ourselves do, and it's, it's something that people are really intrigued by. Can you speed up the platform of healing in the human body, and how do you make it faster? And it's the, some of the same questions you would get into in making self-healing robots. So that, huh. that part is, of, of all the things the T-1000 does, I mean, I think that's the... The easiest to understand, uh, and it depends on your perspective, whether that's scary or exciting, because like I said, it can have a lot of applications for people as well in terms of our own healing ability. Sure. I'm going to stick with with scary. Uh, so uh, as an entry point to our nanobot wrap-up here, uh, because I think that you're exactly right, Ben, this is the way to go with this. If we really want a true T-1000 that can do all these things. As I alluded to before, there is a second university in Brussels on the cutting edge of robotic technology, and that is the ULB, the Université Libre de Bruxelles. So what they've created are a series of modular robots. So basically these are robots that can combine and create different things to accomplish a specific task. They can separate themselves and they can also create a new a new setup and a new uh, robot for every single task that they encounter, which is that's the next step when it comes to, and then you just have to miniaturize that, you know, from in a, at an extraordinary level. But that's the kind of autonomy that I think we're looking at to really have the gateway to the T-1000. I think a lot depends on whether you're saying T-1000 as it's portrayed in the movie mm-hmm. and or the abilities of a T-1000, right? If you're looking at the characteristics of something that is somewhat self-aware and computing and can do this and yet can still kind of heal and morph into different shapes. I like the LED display of, you know, doing the disguise and changing what it is. So if you want those abilities, then, okay, I think individual robots really, everyone's right is the right way to go. I mean, there you have the challenge that we like to throw around nanobot swarms. um, And I think no one really does have an idea what a nanobot 
swarm would be yet, but that's okay. Sure. Right. I mean, we can just all go with, we just make it smaller and we're good. Right. Um, but it certainly does not match what they portrayed in the movie, the T-1000 being. So it's a really interesting conundrum yeah. as we often run into with these technology things in many of our episodes, right? Yeah. You can imagine a way to get the functionality and the ability, but it doesn't necessarily look like the object you first wanted. Yeah, and I think that that's really the key here, and that includes the audience too, is that like you, you have to know that if you want the thing that we're talking about, it may not look like you know a, a writer wrote it, because he's a writer. When it comes down to the real scientists, I'm going to put myself in that, like us, the three of us, uh, then the things are going to look a little different. But you will get, I guarantee you, you'll get the same functionality that you did out of the TV show. That's my commitment to excellence. Uh, anything else to add before we, we finish Well, actually, up? one thing I, I started thinking about right there is that you could also imagine that you could have differentiation in your nanobots, too, where you could have structural ones, like we have bones, that are maybe longer, are better at grabbing onto each other, Versus maybe, you'd, and then you'd maybe have, you know, the visual display ones that live on the outside, just like your skin. You could imagine creating this weird swarm of all these different kinds of robots. And that way, you don't need to have quite the level of complexity of a universal pile of a billion things that can all be anything. Mm -hmm. Well, then they'd be like stem cells. They'd be like nano stem cells. They could like turn into anything at any point. Right, yeah, if you did it that way. But yeah. I think that's a much harder problem. I think, you know, you could get a lot more mileage if you had a mix of different kinds of little robots going on. Sure, I, I think that's exactly right, at least the first step. Although I do like the idea of stem cell robots. Uh, so if you want to continue this conversation, how can they get in touch with you guys? So I'm found on Twitter at Denon Michael. And I'm also found on Facebook at Prof Denon Michael. Prof Denon Michael, all right. Yeah. Somehow Michael Denon's been taken. I don't know that there's another Michael Denon out there, but that's what happened. You can't get the ancient alien people on this and say, like, look, we got... I can't do anything about this? Can't do anything about it. We tried. That's... Oh, wow. Okay. Ben, how <laughs> would we get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I'm at B Seepser on pretty much every platform. <laughs> <laughs> and I so am, Twitter, uh, Instagram, right, yeah. Uh, I am at Daniel J. Glenn and at an on Twitter and at Analytical Mastermind on Facebook. Um, all right, guys, I think we solved another one. Thank you. Thank you. Great Thank time. You. And thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night.